Before I start, I want to give a shout out to my, my dear brother, Pastor Tony Arva, two founding senior pastors in the church in want. Welcome, Tony. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a fan of the aging process. <laughs> to be honest, Tony, it doesn't have a lot going for it, does it? This is a picture of me just before I preached my first sermon at the Vine as senior pastor. Hollandai, <laughs> eh? Now, one of the features of a typical day at that time was the amount of time I spent in front of the bathroom mirror. <laughs> Sandra will tell you, our, 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 our mirror was huge. And I was grooming myself for yet another day in corporate Hong Kong. Shower, hair wash, and a shaving regime that meant there was not even a bristle out of place. My mirror was a propeller for my day. I was ready to take on anyone or anything. This is not, however, the case these days. Gray hairs, wrinkles, facial hairs growing out of strange places like my ears. <laughs> and am I allowed to say no? <laughs> Not enough hair to blow dry or gel. As a result, my trip to the mirror these days is fleeting. And I just allow my beard to grow, my gray beard to be precise, and then promptly get stuck into my day. In truth, I am not taking any notice of what I see in the mirror. James picks something of this up in his next passage. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect word that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I'll be honest with you. I don't want you to listen to this sermon. Oh, let me, let me rephrase this, careful. I, I just realized that some of you are doing the wordle now, right? You, I don't want you just to listen to this sermon. And to be honest, I don't really care whether you like it or not. Whether you give me a seven or an eight or a 4.5 must do better. It is not enough to hear the word, we must do it. I'm gonna say that again in case I can get an amen, right, okay? It is not enough to hear the word, we must do it. That was pretty good. <laughs> Many people have the mistaken idea that hearing a good sermon 
or going to a Bible study is what makes them grow and gets God's blessing. But I'm here today to tell you, it is not the hearing, but the doing that brings the blessing. It has been said, too many Christians mark their Bibles, but their Bibles never mark them. If you think you are spiritual because you hear the word, you're just kidding yourself. Real faith means real obedience. Lots of people consider themselves spiritual, but not nearly as many approach God's word or his teaching with a commitment to obedience. Many have what James calls faith without works. Oh, they believe, oh yes. But their lives are not changed by what they believe. The book of James tells us to be doers. Doers of what God says and not just hearers. Let me put it another way. To marry our talk with our walk. Let me go back to my mirror. The main purpose of owning a mirror is examination. To be able to see yourself and make yourself look as clean and neat as possible. As we look into the mirror of God's Word, we see ourselves as we really are. And James mentions there are several mistakes that people make as we look into God's mirror. The first one is this, they merely glance at themselves. They do not carefully study themselves as they read the Word. I mean, we've been taught, haven't we, from an early age about the daily quiet time. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking that. But for so many, and I've seen it, it's become like a tick box. Get it over with. Tick the box and move on with your day. Many sincere believers read a chapter or so of the Bible each day, but it is only a religious exercise. My daily quiet time. And they fail to profit from it personally. Oh yes, they feel guilty, really guilty, if they do not do their daily reading. But actually their conscience should bother them because they read the Word carelessly. Let me say this, a cursory read of the Bible will never reveal our deepest needs. I would say it's the difference between taking an iPhone photo and an x-ray. The second mistake is that they forget what they see. If they were looking deeply enough into their hearts, what they would see would be unforgettable. Remember how biblical characters responded to the true knowledge of their own hearts. Isaiah, woe is me, he said, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Peter said to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. 
And Job, probably the most righteous man on earth in his day, yet he confessed. He said, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. On to mistake number three. They fail to obey what the Word tells them to do. They think that hearing is the same as doing. It is not. We Christians enjoy substituting reading for doing, even talking for being. We attend conferences, don't we, on topics like evangelism, church growth, and think we've made progress. Now, don't get me wrong, I love church conferences, but they are no substitute for service. James 1.25 tells us if we are to use God's mirror profitably, then we must gaze into it carefully. He uses the word intently. Quick glances will not cut it. And I'm not talking about whiskers here. We must examine our own hearts and lives in the light of God's word. And my friends, this requires time, attention, and severe, uh, sincere devotion. Five minutes or so with God each day will never accomplish a deep spiritual examination. For the past 15 years, I've had the same GP in Hong Kong. His name is Conrad. He is a specialist in geriatric medicine. Uh, that means old people. Why am I still with him? I'll tell you. Even in a full waiting room, and he does have a full waiting room, he always spends time with me and has never seemed in a hurry. And he has always told me the truth. For example, he was not afraid to diagnose my clinical depression. This is what he said to me. Compared to my other patients, remember the geriatrics, compared to my other patients, you don't seem depressed. But compared to you, you are. He knew me. Without knowing me, he could not have said this. When Jesus, the great physician, examines us, he uses his word and he wants us to give him sufficient time to do the job well. Perhaps one reason we glance into the word instead of gazing into the word is that we're afraid of what we might see. After seeing ourselves, we must remember what we are and what God says, and we must do the Word. The blessing comes in the doing, not in the reading of the Word. Can I say it again? The blessing comes in the doing and not in the reading of the Word. Why did James call the Word of God the perfect law that gives freedom? Because when we obey it, God sets us free. Look at this from John chapter 8. 
if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But I love this guy, James. I mean, he's, done this. he's not going to let up on this subject, right? He, there's an interval that comes up. He does a half a chapter on taming the tongue and favoritism. And now he is going for the jugular again. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, oh, go in peace, keep warm and well fed up, I'll put you on the prayer list, you know, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, hey, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. <laughs> Shudder. You foolish person. You want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Wow, my friends. Faith is a key doctrine in the Christian life. Scripture tells us, doesn't it, that a sinner is saved by faith. And the believer must walk by faith. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. And whatever we do apart from faith is sin. I love Hebrews chapter 11, the great gallery of men and women of faith. It starts off, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. In this chapter, we meet men and women who acted on God's Word, no matter what price they had to pay. Faith is not a, a feeling that we work, somehow work up. Faith is confidence that God's Word is true and conviction that acting on that Word will bring His blessing. Verse six, I've read it already. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
In the passage that I just read, James discusses the relationship between faith and works. This is an important discussion. For if we are wrong in this matter, we jeopardize our eternal salvation. This is why it's so important. You being in church today, you being online today. And it leads me to some questions. What kind of faith really saves a person? Is it necessary to perform good works to be saved? How can a person tell whether or not he is exercising true saving faith? James answered these questions in these verses. And he said to us, there are three, three kinds of faith, only one of which is true saving faith. And the first one is this, dead faith. I read it earlier. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, bless you, keep warm, keep well fed, and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith in itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. People with dead faith substitute words for deeds. Oh, they talk a great spiritual language. Oh, they might be experts at Bible memory verses, but their walk does not measure up to their talk. And Jesus gives a simple illustration. A poor believer comes into the fellowship like this, without proper clothing and in need of food. The person with dead faith noticed the visitors but did not do anything to meet his needs. All he did was uh, give a few pious words. Uh, we'll put you on the WhatsApp chat group. We'll pray for you, you know. Go in peace, keep warm, and be well fed. But the visitor went away just as hungry and just as naked as they came in. To help a person in need is an expression of love. And faith works by love. The Apostle John emphasised this aspect of good works. I love this. If anyone has material possessions and he sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The priest and the Levite in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Each had religious training, but neither of them, neither of them paused to assist a dying man. This guy was dying at the side of the road. I'm sure the priest and the Levite, probably both PhDs, could have astounded us by delivering a good powerful sermon full of biblical references. Yet neither demonstrate that faith in loving works. 
I want to ask a leading question. One you might want to talk about in your community groups this week. Can the kind of faith that is never seen in practical works save us? Can the kind of faith that is never seen in practical works save us? And my answer, and one that I believe is supported by Scripture, is no. Look at what James said. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Now you might ask, is that contradicting Paul? And especially Romans, which teaches justification by faith. How many times does Paul say, it is by faith that you are saved? A great question. I'm going to turn to the great theologian, John Calvin, for an answer. He said this, it is faith alone that justifies but faith that justifies can never be alone. That's good, isn't it? James says it in a similar way. He says, true saving faith can never be by itself. It always brings life. And life produces good works. The person with dead faith has only an intellectual experience. He knows the right words but he does not back up his words with his works. Three times, three times. James says in this passage, he warns us, faith without works is dead. Vine Church, growing big people does not simply mean growing your spiritual IQ. Dead faith is not saving faith. Dead faith is counterfeit faith and lulls a person into a false confidence of eternal life. James, as he always does, he steps it up another gear. He wanted to shock his complacent readers. So he used demons as his illustration. Let's read it. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. But show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Now this might raise a question amongst some of you. Pastor John, can we really believe these days in the existence of demons and unclean spirits. Well, the Bible is clear that such creatures do indeed exist. On 52 separate occasions in the New Testament, we have references to demons and there are another 23 references to unclean spirits. But does it come as a shock to you that demons have faith? I mean, what do they believe? For one thing, they believe in the existence of God. They're not atheists, they're not agnostics. 
They also believe in the deity of Christ. Whenever they met Christ on this earth, they bore witness to his sonship. They believe in the existence of a place of punishment and they recognise Jesus Christ as the judge and they submit, they submit to the power of his word. This verse 19 is quite interesting. James said, you believe that there is one God. It may have been a reference to one of the central ideas of Judaism known as the Shema. It is found in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Every one of James's Jewish leaders would have grown up agreeing with that truth. And they say this every day, if not several times a day. But James's point is this. It is not enough just to agree. Can I like level with you? Those who put talk about God but fail to act in ways consistent with their belief, those people are put in the same category as demons. It means knowing, but not trusting. It means dead faith rather than saving faith. The danger of this condition is that someone that we might describe as a religious person can spend their entire lives in simple agreement without ever crossing into true and living faith. My friends, this looks bleak, but don't despair. James has the answer. He has introduced us to two kinds of faith that can never save the sinner. Dead faith and demonic faith. He closes the passage by describing the only kind of faith that can save the sinner. Dynamic faith. Look at this slide. Dynamic faith is faith that is real. Dynamic faith is faith that has power. Dynamic faith results in a changed life. And James describes this true saving faith. To begin with, dynamic saving faith is based on the Word of God. We receive our spiritual rebirth through God's Word. We receive the Word and it saves us. James points out that true saving faith leads to action. My friends, dynamic faith does not stop at intellectual agreement. It leads to obedience on the part of the wheel. And this obedience is not an isolated event. It continues throughout life. It leads to works. Where there is dynamic faith, where there is saving faith, you will always find good works. 
And James gives a perfect illustration. He illustrates his doctrine in the life of two well-known Bible persons, Abraham and Rahab. You couldn't find two more different people. Abraham was a Jew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a, a godly man. But Rahab was a sinful woman, a harlot. Abraham is described as the friend of God, whereas Rahab belonged to the enemies of God. So what did they have in common? Both exercised saving faith in God. The Bible tells us Abraham did not work for his righteousness. He received it as a gift from God. He was declared righteous by faith. He was justified by faith. Please read Romans chapter 4. Justification is an important doctrine in the Bible. But my question, how do you tell if a person is justified by faith, if faith is essentially a personal thing between that person and God? Abraham's example answers that important question. The justified person has a changed life and obeys God's will. His faith is demonstrated by his works. James then goes on to another event in Abraham's life, an event that took place many years after Abraham's conversion. The event is the offering up of Isaac on the altar at Genesis 22. You know the story, don't you? Isaac was the promised son, born to Abraham when he was over 90. And his wife Sarah, who had been barren, was over 80. But God wanted to see if Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. I believe this. Abraham was not saved by obeying God's difficult command. But his obedience proved that he already was saved. James puts it like this in verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete by what he did. This is a perfect relationship between faith and works. As someone expressed it, Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but by a faith that works. I love that, don't you? Simon Gray, you weren't saved by faith plus works, but saved by a faith that works. That's true for all of us. His second illustration is Rahab, and the background is Joshua 2 and Joshua 6. The story here is that Israel was about to invade the Promised Land and take the city of Jericho. Joshua sent spies in the city to, to lay hold of the land, and they met Rahab, a harlot, a prostitute, who protected them and affirmed that she believed in what God had said and what God was going to do. When the men departed, they promised to save her 
and her family when the city was taken, and this they did. This is an exciting story. But in it, it is one of Bible's great examples of saving faith. Rahab even appears in the chapter as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11. Rahab exercised dynamic faith. Her mind knew the truth. Her heart was stirred by the truth and her will acted on that truth. She proved her faith by her works. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, no, we, we, we told who this woman is and you realise she only had a small amount of information. When we realise that, you can see how truly marvellous her faith really was. Now today, 2022, we, you and I, have the full revelation of God through His Word and His Son. We live on the other side of Calvary. We have the Holy Spirit. And we welcomed Him, didn't we? We, we have the Holy Spirit to convict and teach us the Word. And Luke 12, 48 says this, for everyone who has been given much, I think it's fair to say we've been given much, much will be demanded. My friends, the mature Christian practices the truth. His faith is not the dead faith of the intellectuals. It's not the demonic faith of the fallen spirits. It is instead the dynamic faith of men like Abraham and women like Rahab. Faith that changes a life and goes to work for God. I've said a lot this morning. I'm going to give James the last words. Verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. May we examine our hearts and lives to make sure that we possess true saving faith, dynamic faith. As I ask the band to come up, you maybe just close your eyes for a minute. I believe this is a time of reflection. It's a time of searching. It's not time to be thinking what you're going to be having for lunch. Just search your heart. Is my faith dead, demonic, or dynamic? What I want to do is I want to pray a verse over you. It's a verse from the Psalms. From Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me. 
and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're gonna do something different as we come to the final song. I'm not gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask you to stay in this posture of reflection. I'm gonna ask you to gaze in the mirror, your spiritual mirror. There may be people here today or online where actually you gaze in the mirror. You need to come back to the cross of Jesus. You need to offer your life to Jesus afresh. For years, all you've had is an intellectual faith. It's in your head. I believe there's no limit to what God will do with a church that does what it believes. And as we pray for ourselves, let's pray for our church, let's pray for our city. Holy Spirit is here. Just ask Him to come to you again. The Holy Spirit is not just about us feeling good, getting goosebumps, having experiences. Nothing wrong with any of those. But if it's not manifested in us going out from this building onto the streets of Hong Kong and practicing what we've heard in here today, that the Holy Spirit would say to you, have you been gazing in the mirror? That person on the MTR there needs someone to go and talk to them. They're really struggling. That friend of yours needs a telephone call with all the things they've been going through. That person needs you to open your wallet and give them some money for lunch, otherwise they won't get lunch today. Just be open to the Holy Spirit telling you how what we've heard this morning can be put in practice. And what a difference it would make to our city, to our world, that is becoming so much more individualistic about me, myself and I. I pray that as we sing this song together, 
God is going to give each one of you, by His Holy Spirit, fresh eyes. Fresh eyes to see the world differently. God has stopped seeing the, the world through our own eyes, our own needs. Faith without works is dead. <laughs>